you're listening to the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast of StarWarsReport.com. Join us each week as we discuss each new episode. We want to hear what you think of this new Star Wars series. Send us an email or an MP3 at RebelsRoundtable at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RebelsRoundtable, on Twitter at RebelsRound, or on our website, RebelsRoundtable.com. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So strap yourselves in and welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable, the official podcast of StarWarsReport.com relating to all things Rebels animated series. I'm your host, Nathan P. Butler, and with me to discuss three episodes of Rebels this time are Mark. Hey, everybody. Taylor. Hey. And Barrett. Hey, everybody. Now, again, this is going to be one of those rapid-fire episodes. We have one episode here, our penultimate episode, by the way, which means that our next episode is our last, where we'll cover the season finale and sort of give a wrap-up of the show. We're going to be covering Shroud of Darkness, The Forgotten Droid, and The Mystery of Chopper Base, the three most recent episodes as to this point of Star Wars Rebels. So we start out with Shroud of Darkness. This one has a lot going on. So, to summarize, while scouting the planet Usalon for a potential rebel base, Kanan Jarrus and Ezra Bridger once again run into the fifth brother and the seventh sister. These Inquisitors are always on their tail. They manage to escape, but they realize that as long as they're with the rebels, they will always be putting the rebels in danger thanks to the Inquisitors hunting them, very much like Luke Skywalker endangering the rebel mission to Endor because of Vader hunting him in Return of the Jedi. After consulting with Ahsoka, they decide that the Jedi need to basically go on the offensive. But Ahsoka's not quite so sure. Do the hunted really need to become the hunters? She laments that back in the Clone Wars, this is something they would have gone for advice to Obi-Wan Kenobi or to Yoda. Kanan decides that's exactly what they'll do. They go to the hidden Jedi temple on Lothal that we saw back in Season 1, where Ezra and Kanan open it up so they can all go inside. Ahsoka doesn't help do that because, as she notes, she's no longer a Jedi, having left the Jedi Order. The three of them meditate, hoping to somehow connect with Yoda in the Force, and they actually manage to do so. What happens is a set of three visions, one for each character, but all driven in some form or another by Yoda, at least according to Dave Filoni. In Ezra's vision, we get some practical advice about how the Clone Wars had caused the Jedi to become warriors, and that brought them towards darkness. Yoda seems to be urging Ezra away from direct confrontation, but when Ezra does reveal that, yeah, that's their plan to fight, Yoda, seemingly saddened, gives him the piece of advice that they need to hunt down Malachor, which Ahsoka will later note is a planet, not a person. In Kanan's vision, he faces off with the Sentinel, as the credits call him, one of the temple guards from the old Jedi temple in basically a Jedi Temple dojo. The Sentinel is trying to convince him that they need to kill Ezra so that he can't fall to the dark side because that's what's going to happen when Kanan eventually fails him. Kanan finally reaches the point where he drops to his knees and recognizes, yeah, 
I can't save Ezra even from himself. I can only teach him as best as I can, which essentially is the lesson that he learned the last time he was at this Jedi temple. And rather than delivering a killing blow, the Sentinel dubs him, which is essentially Yoda dubbing him, according to Filoni, dubs him a full Jedi Knight, rather than the Padawan that he was when Order 66 went down. Moreover, the Sentinel removes his mask to reveal the face of the individual we know as the Grand Inquisitor. Yes, the Grand Inquisitor was once a Jedi, though whether he was this specific Jedi is left a little nebulous by Rebels Recon. Meanwhile, Ahsoka has her own vision in which she sees, or hears because the vision is basically behind her, Anakin berating her for walking away from him, saying that she betrayed him by doing so. However, he does reveal, at least to Ahsoka, that yes, Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker, setting the stage for the confrontation presumably to come in the season finale. While they're inside, the fifth brother and seventh sister arrive and discover the Jedi Temple, but as they make their way inside, our heroes are able to escape while the Inquisitors are battling those ghostly Jedi Temple guards in vision form. As our heroes escape, they know that they're going to be on a mission now to hunt down the Inquisitors and hopefully stop them from hunting them and the Rebels, while Vader arrives and reveals to the Inquisitors that, one, Palpatine's going to be very happy about this discovery of a hidden Jedi Temple, and two, yeah, the Jedi are growing in power, but that will be their undoing. It's a chock-full episode here. So, for our initial thoughts on this episode, we'll pass it around the table. Let's start with Mark. Man, this one had so much philosophical going on, uh, force philosophy. I was really jamming on it. Now, the whole Pablo Hidalgo said that Yoda was sending all these visions. I was not aware of that. So, having that thought that Yoda made the Anakin spirit thing show up to Ahsoka... That's a twist for me that last minute I'm like, whoa, wait, what? Like, I, I thought that was a cool scene as it was just kind of felt like the force was, you know, telling Ahsoka what she already knew. I mean, I've been under that impression for a while now that she's known, but to have it kind of come full force like that scene when he says, do you know what I've become? And when it pans back around and you see Vader there, no longer Anakin, it, it's clearly obvious. Yeah, she's known. Uh, and, and that's I don't know. There were so many things like. You know, you've got the, the the tribal patterns on the lower part of the, the temple. Uh, when Kanan mentions the fact, you know, new problem, new door, there were so many really cool things. And then when the Inquisitors showed up and they were able to lift the door, the way the ground glue red. Like, it was just, you know, Ahsoka made her comment about how she couldn't open the door because she wasn't a Jedi. And then the Inquisitors come and do it. It's like, okay, well, Ahsoka, clearly you don't have to be a Jedi to open this thing. You just need to be a Force user. You need to step off that little chip on your shoulder that you got. You know, I mean, I don't know. It, it's one of those things I'm having a hard time with. You know, Darth Maul may be coming, probably is coming, most likely is coming. And everyone's like, well, he's not a Darth anymore. It's like, you know, just because you stopped participating doesn't mean the knowledge went away. I, I I just have a hard time with that. I'm like, you're still a Jedi woman. Kanan needs to slap you over the head with that because you're letting him down, man. You're his role model right now. Uh, but th there were some really great interactions with the characters, Kanan and Ezra especially. You can see how hard they've been working to get better at a team. Uh, the fact that the Inquisitors are on them so much, uh, it, it's something that keeps coming up to my mind. Like, what is going on that the Seventh Sister seems to really be locked in on them? 
Uh, you know, she seems to be able to find them wherever they're going. And, and again, with her, like she has that double voice sound like Palpatine and mother Talzin has that the night brother doesn't have. It, it leads me to think that there is something more powerful with her or something. I'm not quite sure, but either way, I really enjoyed the philosophy angles of this. What was going on with Yoda? What was going on with the characters? What was going on, especially for Kanan and Ezra? Uh, you know, they were both using the words, we're looking to destroy the inquisitor and destroy Darth Vader. And the visions were flat out, you know, from the start, they were like, if you're on that path, Ezra's going to fall. And, that just kept coming up all the way through it. It was like, it, it's a certainty. It's like, you go down this path, he's doomed. And I don't know, man, the, these three episodes kind of start setting up a path that leave me kind of really concerned for the finale of this uh, season. Are you concerned for Ahsoka or for Kanan? Uh, I'm honestly, I'm almost more and more concerned for Kanan. I think Ezra's going to follow the dark side. And I really thought Ahsoka was going to be the one to die. Like it, it just seems to be the most sense making. But then when I stop sense making this nonsensical stuff I'm talking about, but when I think about it the most, if I think about Kanan dying at Vader's hands, there's a lot more story opportunity there. If Ahsoka has to pick up and finish Ezra's training, but on top of it all, Ezra is now in a more volatile place. You know, he is shifting towards the dark. He is in that twilight. You know, him, him losing Kanan, he's already, you know, in these three episodes, we see him being pushed more and more towards the darkness because of the panic about being the last Jedi and being hunted so feveredly by these Inquisitors. It's getting to him. Now, if he loses Kanan, oh, man, the kid's going to crack. But if they lose Ahsoka, like, yeah, that's a blow, but it's not as devastating a blow to Ezra as if he loses Kanan. Well, there is this impending doom Whatever's going to happen, there's this impending doom because we don't see these characters in the Star Wars that we know, you know, the original trilogy and beyond, even, you know, obviously with the legends that told some stories afterwards. So we know there's an impending doom. We know that something's going to happen. But I think it's very interesting that you think Kanan might die because that never occurred to me that Kanan could be the one to go and Ahsoka actually take over the role of master per se, for Ezra. I don't think there's any issue that Ezra might might fall, but it could be anybody else. And I thought these three episodes, well, the first two episodes were pretty good. <laughs> the last episode, I think, was a little bit of filler. And, you know, Filoni is, is kind of grating on me with these filler episodes because he can give us something so powerful and then we get still get these filler episodes. I don't know. Maybe they have to. I, I don't. I don't have a, a reason for that. Uh, why they have to tell these stories. So you guys are pretty ominous at the moment, Taylor. What are your initial thoughts on this episode? I actually quite like this episode, but I also agree with my dad. But then there was one part, like the how did are the Inquisitors keep on finding Ezra and Kanan in them? Yeah, yeah, the same issue, huh? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. What about the temple movement and stuff? Did you enjoy the temple? Yes. Uh, I like Ezra's reaction. It's like, where's the door going? <laughs> and then, um, like, when the Inquisitors came, the ground started glowing red. I don't remember what color it was before they came, but it was something that stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah, there was, like, no color when the Jedi did it. It was yeah. kind of profound change, right? Yeah. Got yourself a security system there, right? That's the uh, the that's simply safe, the Jedi version. Uh, 
I don't. I think that I I would agree that it, with Barrett that as a string of episodes here, it's kind of weird that we've got this really really strong one, and we'll end cap it with one that felt very much like filler. This episode by itself, I really enjoyed. I thought it was a very strong episode. It's got a little bit of action, right? We've got our bit with the opening chase, and we've got Kanan battling the Sentinels, so we've got some action. And then, of course, we've got these more calm, peaceful moments where it's all about revealing things to the characters and heavily propelling the story along. Um, I was not a fan of the way Yoda looked. I thought he looked pretty stupid. And I actually would prefer the look of Phantom Menace Yoda, original Phantom Menace Yoda, to this Yoda probably, which says a lot about how bad this Yoda uh, (laughs) looked. Um, (laughs) Wow. Let's tell us how you real feel. (laughs) They've they've got some good moments in here, though. I mean, the the fact that they're able to use each of these visions to do something different. In Ezra's case, it gets into this whole idea again about – are Jedi supposed to be meant to be warriors? Are they more pacifistic? Can you keep the peace without engaging in war and propelling them towards Malachor, which again has been mentioned in the Clone Wars. It's a planet that was originally mentioned back in the Knights of the Old Republic 2 video game. This is not the same planet per se, at least not the same version of it because Knights of the Old Republic and all that stuff, that's all legends. But we've got this reference to Malachor, so we know that that's going to be coming up somewhere along the line. And then with Kanan's vision, we get a little bit of background or at least hinted background about the Inquisitor. We get Kanan essentially being knighted more or less by Yoda, but knighted by the Force at least. So he's no longer sort of the weird situation where he's acting like a knight, but he was a Padawan when he left and never really got promoted. And he has to, again, remember that he can't protect Ezra from himself necessarily. And then you've got Ahsoka getting the confirmation about Anakin becoming Vader. A lot of things going on in a relatively short span of time. I mean, this really kind of felt like a longer episode than it was, and it still manages to fit in some interesting, insightful comments from the characters beyond that. Uh, uh, My favorite line of the entire thing, there's all this profound stuff going on. My favorite line is Kanan going up against a seventh sister, I don't go for crazy anymore. And doesn't that just describe the dating life of pretty much all men ever? (laughs) You start with crazy, you work your way to sane, and that's who you marry. And I also, I found it interesting that Ahsoka talked about how Yoda, when she was young, seemed to be more upbeat. But as the Clone Wars went on, he became more negative. He seemed to have this sorrow that he was carrying, which made sense to me going into the whole, you know, okay, well, that's the beginning of the Clone Wars on towards the later part of the Clone Wars. That makes sense that he would change that way. But then she mentions how it seemed to her that it was as if Yoda knew that one age was ending and another was beginning and no one else did, which is basically what he figured out in the last arc of the Clone Wars from season six, after Ahsoka had already left. And I would have found that a contradiction, but we're also getting hints about Ahsoka here, where she says that the last time she saw Anakin was when he was rushing off to save the Chancellor, basically in Revenge of the Sith, And in Rebels Recon, they also note that the reason for that is because apparently she was on some kind of secret mission working with the Jedi right at the end of the Clone Wars. And it's been suggested maybe that's Mandalore, who knows what it was. So all these different bits and pieces are being layered together in what feels like a very full and yet not rushed 25 minutes. I was very impressed by this episode. You know, one of the things that struck me at the very beginning as odd 
And it was more like a calculating odd from the rebellion standpoint. You know, Ezra and Kanan, they're fighting the Inquisitors and they're sitting there openly verbally talking about the fact that they're trying to find a secret rebel base. And I'm like, it's not going to be a secret if you're telling the bad guys about your secret rebel base. Like, that seemed like a real stupid, <laughs> stupid thing on both their parts. But I like the fact that we see Kanan have to trust Ezra, you know, and Ezra's like, you know, just trust me. And he's when he runs off the edge and makes the jump, Kanan's ah! <laughs> like, I was dying. Like there was there were some really fun moments with that that really, really just set it up. But I when when they had those visions that you're talking about, Nate, I was really locking on to the words that the Inquisitor was saying to Kanan, you know, that that if you start to attack, if you go to defeat them, your Padawan's going to be consumed by the darkness. And that, you know, these Inquisitors are coming for him. You know, th that kept coming up about how Ezra's going to be consumed by the darkness. And, you know, these three episodes, when you watch Ezra, there are facial expressions, there are phrases he says, tones of voice. He's getting into a very dark place. And I, I think by the time we get to the chopper base one, you know, he makes a comment about, you know, being the last Jedi. I think the pressure is really starting to get to him. And I think that this episode really kind of, it, it's the putting the, the metal to the fire and you're watching it glow. Like this is that moment of the tempering of him. Like it, it's just so intense that he's starting to break down into his baser elements. You know, one thing about Ezra that's that I've really noticed besides those points that you just made, Mark, is that. Ezra is really the first independent Jedi or Padawan that we really have. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think they kind of tried to make Ahsoka that way with the Sky Guy and stuff when she first got introduced. But it kind of made her more annoying at first. But she really wasn't independent. She really did have to rely a lot on Anakin. And I think with all the Padawans we've seen, they really do rely a lot on their masters. Ezra, not so much. I mean... You can see that they have training sessions, but it seems that all of his jet force abilities are very natural, and he seems to be very independent of his master, and I think this is the first time we've seen this. Going back to your point about how the Inquisitors keep finding them, I can't remember the episode, but there was an episode where the Seventh Sister captures Chopper, and I think she probably put a tracking mechanism in Chopper, because... Ooh. She's touching Chopper. Remember, she's caressing him in that one episode, and they, they kind of cut, and they never go back to that. And she does have an affinity for droids. Ooh, good catch. So I think that there's probably a tracking device that she left in Chopper, because every time they're somewhere, Chopper's with them, you know. Um, but I think I find it very interesting that Pablo Hildago said that these Force visions were given to them by Yoda. Yeah. So Yoda would have to has to have all of this knowledge. So Yoda had to know that the Inquisitor was a Jedi Temple Guard, or is it just yeah. that he's giving the Force the push to give them these visions, but he doesn't really know what the visions are going to be? I really didn't understand that part. That that is an open to interpretation part there, without Pablo saying for certain. Uh, I, I was under the impression that the Temple Guard literally was a Jedi. But now knowing that Yoda set it all in motion, I would say Yoda had to have known. You know, if Yoda's able to track what's going on at this temple, 
track what's going on with Kanan and Ezra through the Force, I think it would make sense that Yoda's able to touch or reach out and find any other Force sensitives to a degree, or at least the ones that he's somewhat familiar with. I'd like to know about what age a temple guard becomes a temple guard. I would have expected them to be somewhat experienced Jedi to be able to guard the Jedi temple itself. We find out in, I think it was the first visual guide or something like that, that basically the Inquisitors, or the Grand Inquisitor, was in like his mid-40s around the time that the series started, which would put him in his early, early 30s when the Clone Wars end. So if he was going to have been a temple guard for a while prior to the Clone Wars ending, he would have been, you know, in his late 20s. Is that appropriate for an age to assume that he would have actually have been a temple guard? Were they even considering age appropriateness when they came up with this part of the storyline? I think that might help us discern how accurate the vision was, but it just raises that other question of how accurate were they paying attention to the age that they had already put out there for the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah, one other thing that that the Grand Inquisitor, his Force Ghost, said to Kanan, which is where I kind of felt like, you know, maybe they're setting up Kanan to die. So the the Inquisitor's spirit, he says, you'll never be strong enough to save your apprentice, and you'll die for the failure. And everything that they said, pretty much it was one of those, you know, if you're going to go to destroy them, this is what's going to happen. And I really felt like it was set in stone. Like, if if that's your goal, this this is the consequence. Like, they're telling him straight up right out the gate. And I, I don't know, man. That's the moment where I'm just like, wow, he. I don't think Kanan's going to survive all this. I think, you know, these three episodes, we're seeing a lot of closure for Kanan. You know, he's he's having this moment. Like, he's terrified that he cannot protect not only Ezra, but the rest of the rebels. I mean, when he goes to meet up with Hera and them, he goes out of their way to make sure that Hera brings the ghost away from the rebel fleet. He is terrified. He knows he's going to die. My concern, I guess, going towards the next few episodes, I think this episode is good at foreshadowing doom without pinpointing what the doom is. It's why we can debate who is going to die and such. I'm of the opinion that it's probably going to wind up, if anybody dies, it's going to have to be Ahsoka. Uh, one, because they've been setting up this clash between her and Vader and such, and I believe we know that it's coming at this point. Uh, coming up. And Filoni, when talking about Ahsoka's journey refers to essentially the end is near in Rebels Recon for her journey, which suggests that either she's going to stop being a major player or she's going to die. I also would say, though, that the title of the season finale, the two parts, really kind of lend itself to this. Twilight of the Apprentice sounds to me like it could be a double entendre of Death of Ahsoka and Ezra falling to the dark side at once, and we know that Maul, Old Master, will be there. So... I don't know, it seems like they're really focusing on those two characters and Kanan is sort of just caught in the middle. I, I'm doubtful that it'll be Kanan that dies, not to mention the fact, of course, that he's a major character in the series and part of the core cast, whereas Ahsoka isn't. But how fitting would it be, from a purely self-serving standpoint here, how perfect would it be if this season were to end with the end of Ahsoka when this podcast is an extension of the old Republic Forces Radio Network which was formed to cover Clone Wars starting with Ahsoka's first introduction. I mean, how perfect would it be that our time and Ahsoka's time would end simultaneously? I'm almost crossing my fingers for Ahsoka to die purely for those self-serving reasons. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, Ahsoka's a goner. She's she's gonna go. You can't start a, a whole new show with all new characters and then kill off a, a major character to bring on an old major character. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. I mean, I think this is gonna be the toughest secret that's not really a secret to keep hidden. You know what I mean? And it's time for Ahsoka to go. I really think it is. I think that she has lived her use out her usefulness. Oh, you evil bastard! I, I, she really does have to die. <laughs> I mean, if you really think about it, the only way it could go it would be two ways: either Ezra. I'm hoping. I'm really hoping that Ezra tries to fall to the dark side, and Darth Maul comes back and brings him back from the dark side, and says, oh, "No, no, you don't have to go this route." And I'm hoping that's the way it goes, and Ahsoka dies. And uh, it's going to be interesting. Bringing back Darth Maul, you're hearing that he might be a good guy in this thing, you know, which kind of makes sense. He gave his life to the dark side, and the last time we saw him, basically the Emperor, his former master, rejected him. See, I don't know if I'd go so far as say good guy. Enemy of my enemy is my friend, maybe. But that's not the last time we saw him now. The last time we saw him on the show... He had been rejected and he had been taken prisoner. But Son of Dathomir took place after that. And that's the only comic series to make the jump from Legends into canon because it's essentially copied and pasted into canon with the rest of the Clone Wars. So the last time we saw him, his entire Shadow Collective army was defeated and broken up. And he basically went off into the sunset and we never expected to see him again. Not only is that kind of an interesting way of playing with the whole Maul angle, but this also means that just like with Ahsoka... When Maul comes back on Rebels, we're getting an end of Maul's story in canon that doesn't exist in Legends. Just like since Rebels doesn't exist in Legends, we've got Ahsoka's story up to her walking away in Legends, but nothing about her ever working with the Rebel Alliance and such. This divergence of the two. But yeah, Maul has been seen since the show. It's just that, where has he been for the last, you know, decade and a half just about? But... Presumably they'll answer that the way that they're slowly trying to answer it with Ahsoka, too. Uh, which I guess is us sort of getting far afield, given that we're talking about next week's stuff that hasn't aired yet uh, while dealing with Shroud of Darkness. Do we have any other comments, thoughts, ideas we want to get into about Shroud of Darkness before we move on to the Forgotten Droid? When they were in the temple and Ahsoka, Ezra, and Kanan were all sitting down, and then Kanan sees the doorway, I thought it was really funny that when Ezra told Kanan to be careful, he said that he wouldn't do anything Ezra would do. I thought it was really funny. So, Yeah, you got that. And then there was the great cues. I think the music in this one really served the episode well. When Ahsoka, and she's having that little vision with Vader, and he says, you know, do you know what I've become? The score at that moment was so dang sad. You could hear not only Ahsoka when she cries out, no, but the exhale of her breath like she had been just physically punched in the gut and the way the music kind of died right then for that so that that exhale kind of came to the forefront just brilliantly executed and the same thing happens there at the end when vader shows up at the temple of lothal and he walks in i was just like wow but again there was also that great comment where uh, when they first show up ahsoka goes ezra you're from lothal like the way she said like Kind of had me scratch my head going like, wait, was Lothal? It's like that like supposed to be a bigger Jedi temple, like like not some obscure one, but maybe like like one of the fourth biggest ones in the galaxy kind of thing. Like maybe and there's should, more weight to it. Shouldn't that question have been answered at some point before? Isn't this kind of like Han being like, wow, this is the first time I've ever used the podcast. <laughs> this is awesome. Shouldn't there have been some point in their training together and everything else 
where he's like, yeah, I'm from Lothal, or hey, where are you from? I'm from Lothal. Should this really have been a surprise to Ahsoka? Yeah, exactly. Well, and one other little thing that jumped out to me was when Ahsoka sees Yoda, I realized Yoda's got his necklace and his cane. Like, I was like, oh, hey, he's already fashioned the uh, necklace. But I don't know. I, I'm kind of like all the visions, they were all portelling doom for Ezra and stuff. So for Yoda to, in the end, give him the name Malachor, uh, that was one of those things where I was kind of like, wow, I don't I don't know about this. But that's where Barrett, when he mentioned, you know, well, maybe Maul's going to save Ezra. Like, maybe that's something Yoda knows. Uh, you know, maybe that's something I didn't take into consideration. So I, I'm definitely excited in that regard. Again, this one had so much going on in the philosophical realm that I was really digging on. This did more philosophically for me than the Mortis arc ever did. You know, that one just confused the hell out of me. This one was mysterious and yet left things open and yet seemed very direct while being vague. You know, you, I want to mention one last thing about Yoda is that almost Yoda was anticlimactic in this episode. You know, when we heard that we were getting Yoda, I was like, oh, okay, Yoda, you know, cool. First of all, Yoda needs braces. I, I've never had a, that thought ever in my mind, but Yoda, I, I, his teeth has always been messed up, but really, I don't know about this rendition of him, but he really looked hideous. But for Yoda to be in this episode, he was really kind of an afterthought, you know? It was almost like they had to put Yoda in the episode because he was already in another episode where he was communicating with them in that Jedi temple. But other than that, it was almost like Yoda did not need to be there. You know what I'm saying? They could have used him a little bit more or in a, in a greater capacity. I think he was only there to illustrate how much stronger Ezra's gotten because he was like, I can see you now. Oh, much more stronger you've become. But that model, I'm, I'm with Nate. That model, like, damn, sucked. That was such a hard model to look at. In fact, there was only one angle, and that was, like, from up front to the right. If you're looking from the right up front at Yoda, only from that angle did he even at all look like one of the Muppets from the movies. <laughs> What you don't know is that he's ha he has a cane now because he's had some trip and fall things going on, and apparently one of the branch <laughs> one of the branches he hit while tripping and falling on Dagobah was wait for it the ugly stick. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, Nathan. Brilliant. But he should be at this point in time. He should be a kind of a crazier Yoda, you know, kind of giggling and and making jokes. It seems like that. I mean, they kind of try to do that, but. It was almost like this Yoda was an in-between Yoda of what we know, what we've seen in the in the prequel era, and what we know in the o o original trilogy. This was kind of like an in-between Yoda. I, I don't know. I just hope that when Yoda comes back next time, he's a little bit more forthcoming with the answers. Talk like a fortune cookie, I must. I think it's a good point that you're going to bring him in, give him a little bit more to do. But I wonder if that's a consequence of just how much this episode had going on, that if this episode didn't have as much with the other two visions, maybe, I don't know, maybe Yoda would have would have stolen the show. But I guess not so much. Speaking of stealing the show, the second episode we take a look at is one in which Chopper finally takes center stage, which is not something that happens very often. We've had our Hera episodes. We've had our Sabine episodes, our Ezra episodes and so on. Now we've really got what amounts to a chopper episode with the Forgotten Droid. Phoenix Squadron has managed to combine Captain Rex's map from back at the beginning of the season with the map created during the search for Lyrison with the Lasats, and together they've been able to essentially figure out what they think 
is going to be a new solid rebel base on a moon of Burzite in the Yost system. And for some reason, Ketsu Onyo is there to help confirm this all of a sudden. The idea, though, is hitting a snag. Because their new carrier that they captured back with the help of Chomsandula isn't going to make it all the way to that location because it needs fuel. We're back to the fuel thing again. The Ghost crew decides to raid a fuel shipment at Horizon Base at Ketsu's suggestion of all people. But while they do so, Chopper is distracted by seeing this Ugnaught scrap dealer who happens to have a leg for sale that's identical to one of his, because his have been mismatched this whole time, though I never noticed it. And the idea is that he wants to buy it and replace one of his mismatched ones, so at least he looks a little more normal. While he's haggling with the scrap dealer, the Ghost Crew finish their mission and take off without Chopper. Chopper steals the leg and winds up hiding from stormtroopers aboard an Imperial cargo vessel that then launches. Aboard the cargo vessel, another droid, AP-5, a protocol droid, Death Star droid-type design, is handling inventory and putting up with a really verbally abusive captain. It's AP-5 that winds up finding Chopper, and after a bit of a scuffle and chase, sort of, between the two, we find out that they share something in common. Both Chopper and AP-5 served in the Clone Wars. Moreover, they both served at the Battle of Ryloth, Chopper gives us a little more detail beyond what we learned a couple episodes ago in telling us that he was in a Y-Wing that crashed, and that was when Hera found and took him in. Meanwhile, AP-5 was a strategist. His commander died at the Battle of Ryloth, and eventually, when the Empire rose from the ashes of the Republic, they took his older models and basically turned them into inventory droids while replacing them in their old strategy positions with newer models. So they have sort of a shared veteran background or war hero background. Chopper takes off AP-5's restraining bolt, giving him free reign of his own actions, and together they decide to basically steal the ship and go join the rebels and get the Imperials out of there. They trick most of the Imperials into the cargo hull, which they then release from the rest of the ship, so it just essentially floats dead in space while they head off with the stolen section with the cockpit and the engines and whatnot. Unfortunately, the captain is still aboard. Meanwhile, the Ghost gets back to the fleet to find it under attack by Imperials led by Admiral Constantine. The Ghost gets aboard the carrier, refuels it just as the cargo ship nears the area. Chopper lets them know, hey, I've stolen a ship, I'm on the way back. AP-5 is revealed as Chopper's friend to the crew of the Ghost. We're surprised that he even has a friend. And when Hera mentions that they need to get out of there to the Yost system, that's when AP-5 saves the day by noting that the Empire is already building up a pretty substantial presence there, so that's not going to work as a base. Thankfully, AP-5 is able to take the Rebels' information and Imperial data and find a better base, the planet Atalon, where they all jump to, but not before the Imperial Captain can rise up, knock out Chopper briefly, fight with AP-5, and deliver some serious damage to AP-5 before Chopper can come to and knock him out. In the end, AP-5 thinks he's a goner and essentially says his goodbye to Chopper, only to then reactivate aboard the Ghost, finding that Chopper has sacrificed parts from that spare leg that he had wanted so badly, in order to allow AP-5 to be fixed. Yes, the Ghost now appears to have its own version of R2-D2 and C-3PO in the form of Chopper and AP-5. 
A lighter episode this time, but still a solid episode, I thought. Uh, let's go around the table for initial thoughts. Uh, Mark, what'd you think? I'm going to defer to Taylor because last episode I stole most of her points. <laughs> <laughs> you're not supposed to steal from your own children unless you're in government. <laughs> <laughs> Who else are you supposed to steal from? Chopper was at the shop trying to smooth talk his way to get the leg for himself. And then there were people in the background, like Hera, Ezra, and, like, they were all getting on the ship. And Hera, I'm pretty sure, told Chopper before they left to have the ship ready to go. And yet they still were, like, get in, and they got out super fast. And it just really confused me because it's like, how— Does how... Chopper have a remote start for the fan, the ghost or what? <laughs> yeah, so that confused me. And then there was another part where uh, Chopper, when he's taking off, he had, like, no control whatsoever flying-wise. He was hitting things, hitting the other ships and cargo, and bouncing off things. And so I thought it was kind of funny, but, yeah. So I actually kind of like this episode. It had humor. It's almost like Chopper had enough fuel with that jetpack. Like, how much fuel can he actually hold in that and that trash can of his. <laughs> but I agree with you. I think you had a, a lot of good points. Uh, there are some confusing things. They're not very consistent with the way that the ghost takes off. Sometimes it could take off very slowly, and sometimes it seems like it could go into hyperspace from a dead stop like The Force Awakens. So, you know, they are a little bit inconsistent with the way that they escape, kind of with the way that they're inconsistent with the way that Ezra Ezra's Jedi powers develop. Sometimes he can seem to be flipping over to Inquisitors, and then another time it seems like he can't elevate a milk carton. So they go back and forth. So I, I see I see your point. Nathan, I never noticed that Chopper's leg was different at all. I mean, he just looks like a pile of crap anyway, so I guess I really never noticed that. I really enjoyed this episode. AP5 is my homie. I love AP5. I don't know who the voice actor was. Uh, Steve that... Stanton, I believe. Yes. Oh, great voice act. I mean, every line that this voice actor drops is AP5 is pure gold <laughs> yeah it was it i finally get the star wars feeling when when chopper and ap5 are interacting i mean it's it i don't know how they did it but they got they got c3po and r2d2 the this is our c3po and r2d2 yeah totally it, you could be dismantled in six systems for that kind of language <laughs> I, I love it and he says uh, he just says things like like it's not a waste of time. And like he's arguing with Chopper the same thing, same way C3PO is arguing with, with R2. And I mean, it is beautiful. Now, I did not know that droid had vanity because all C3PO has different missing limbs. He doesn't seem like he needs to get his limb back. So to have Chopper uh, want to quote unquote look better, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs> for his personality, for Chopper to have that kind of a personality, because usually it seems like he wouldn't care the way he looks because of the way he looks now. You think that he'd want to he'd want to spruce himself up before this. But, you know, it, it goes along with the plot. We needed that. The Ugnock looked really cool. And I like the fact that 
we saw before how Zeb was able to bring over, or we don't know if Callus is brought over, but at least change the thinking of some of their enemies. And for Chopper to be able to do that, uh, I like the way that it's going, that not everyone is, it, it's not black and white. Not everyone is either evil or good. There are gray areas there. And if you change the thinking of, of someone, that you can bring them over to your side. And I want to get you guys' opinion on this droid, how he was able to not follow orders, you know, because he's given orders to from the Empire to do certain things to keep inventory, but he yeah. doesn't tell on Chopper. And I thought that, is that something that we haven't seen before for that, a droid to not follow orders like that? That happens. In fact, it's in the dialogue right before he doesn't do it. Uh, the inventory droid says to Chopper, he's like, ah, free will does sound nice. Because Chopper tells him, you know, you got free will. And then he knocks the restraining bolt off. I'm like, oh. So Chopper, Chopper tells him, you know, yeah, you're a droid, but you still have free will. And I think that that's something that, I think until a droid's told that he has free will, I don't think it's something that ever crosses a droid's mind. And then he stopped and he thought about it, and then he was like, no, I haven't seen anything. Free will comes with disobeying orders, which I thought was very interesting uh, for a droid. But the one thing was he made that decision for free will to disobey his commander before that restraining bolt was cut off. Yeah, which was the really, I mean, the restraining bolt, I'm, I'm always under the impression that it kind of locks a droid down, not so much like, you know, forces a droid to, to run certain programs. But yeah, I mean, I, I like the, the way they played up the war hero angle. Like like you were talking about the vanity. I, I kind of look at Chopper like that. You know, we found out he crashed on Ryloth. So clearly Hera fixed him. So that cobbled together leg is Hera doing the best she could. So I started to see Chopper like a disabled vet. You know, like he's seeing a way to make himself whole. And that's really important to him because he hasn't been whole for a, or a long time, uh, which also plays up on this aspect of Hera being his mom, because when he shows back up, she goes, C-110P, where are you? And I love the fact it's like using his full middle name. Like she doesn't call him Chopper. She's C-110P. And I love the fact like I've seen his name written out, but I never knew it was c one. 10 P not one, one, one P or something like that. Like having her do that, that was a great moment for her to just chastise him like that. And then you got also that great moment where Zeb's calling him shopper because of it. Oh, look at you. It's shopper. <laughs> I love it. The banter continues, right? I mean, they, they use this episode. And again, this is the difference between this episode and some of these others that they do humor, but they don't have to do slapstick. To do humor all the time. It doesn't have to be Zeb and Ezra pulling pranks on Chopper and, and them on each other. It can yeah. be something that has the humor this way. Um, I thought it was a pretty decent episode. I mean, for what it did, it was pretty good. Uh, it introduces the new droid, which will be nice to see if he continues kind of like bringing in you know, Rex and bringing in Ahsoka as this recurring character. Though in this case, maybe more as a part of the ghost crew rather than just a part of the rebellion. We have yet to really kind of see where this is going to go with the character. I was also kind of on that scratching my head thing about the restraining bolt because you go to Return of the Jedi and it's fit him with a restraining bolt. And they put a restraining bolt on 3PO and R2, and yet it seems as though they're still, to some extent, doing what they want to do to help the rebels as long as it's not violating their other duties like serving drinks. But... It's supposed to somehow control them. It hadn't even occurred to me, Mark, because of how many ways that restraining bolts were described and shown in Legends. 
as just basically making it so the droids have to listen. It never even occurred to me that the only way we really saw a restraining bolt used in the films was to lock down R2-D2 when he starts getting mouthy with the Jawas. So the idea that, well, maybe a restraining bolt isn't what we've always thought it was. Maybe a restraining bolt is just basically something that freezes them in place if they start getting unruly. That would certainly make it make more sense for the droid to be sort of neglecting his duties and at least starting to act in a way that's sort of free will-like before Chopper ever knocks that thing off. I found that interesting. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. as for the leg, I didn't ever notice that Chopper didn't have the leg. I'm kind of afraid now of what will happen if Chopper ever does get a new leg because I'm afraid that, especially if it's red, I won't recognize a character. Anyway. <laughs> um, but we can hope that, you know, eventually if he does get another leg, they'll still be able to recognize him, unlike C-3PO. You just blew my mind, though, Mark. As much as I was looking at this episode as it's it's a Chopper episode, and it's cool that it's giving him his new buddy, and it's cool that it's giving Chopper center stage, and Chopper gets to reveal a little bit more of his background, I would never have thought of Chopper, even after he said, I'm a war hero, which is what AP5 responds to, I would never have thought of him as a veteran, per se, and I certainly wouldn't have necessarily thought of him because of his physical state as a disabled veteran. I think you've just completely changed the way I look at Chopper in some fundamental way that I can't quite put my (laughs) finger on. But to think of Chopper as a disabled vet, I mean, it puts into a lot of more context to his mouth, to his attitude, to his willingness to kill, apparently. Um, And sort of puts him in a different context to me than I think I'd ever really thought of Chopper in. So kudos to you on the disabled veteran droid. Well, and, 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 you know, talking about the humor, I think one of the things that cracked me up the most and Taylor had, had hit on it earlier was while he's in the process of stealing the leg and they get on the ship, like he grabs the leg, he turns and burns. And then the Ugonaut turns around and looks and Chopper's standing. He stopped. He like, he was in the middle of running and he stops and looks up and is like, oh crap. <laughs> like, he's not moving. The leg's sitting next to him and the Ugonaut looks over and there he, he's standing there just completely dumbfounded as the ghost is flying off in the distance. And I love too that when Hera, when they're talking about where was Chopper, and she goes, he goes after that leg. He's like, oh, you don't really know. Oh, I know. <laughs> she is the mad mom. And, and I just, I hate to throw my daughter under the bus like this, but she just spent the night at a friend's house and went down to a party after being told by her mom not to do it and that's exact same phrase i got when she called me going you need to go pick your daughter up right now because she was disobeying what do you mean oh i know she's at that park (laughs) did you go pick her up or did you leave her oh i went and picked her up oh taylor Tay had to do the walk of shame didn't you tay Eh, oh that happened to me at a football game once (laughs) there was also the fact that the uh the shadow catcher Ketchu's ship. I love the look of that ship. I don't know if you guys ever noticed it, but it really reminds me of the Defiant from Deep Space Nine. That was one of those things that that uh, jumped out. And I love the fact that in the end, Chopper steals another freighter for the Rebels. And for like a whole three seconds, he was Captain Chopper. <laughs> the other droid, AP-5, dropped the leg. And when Chopper picks it up, he's like, hey, you were the one dereliction of duty. <laughs> let me Let me ask you this. Because you mentioned the Shadowcaster, and it's cool when the Shadowcaster sweeps in and saves the day when they're trying to get the fuel back to the carrier to get out of there. It makes for some good action in the middle of the episode. But I'm sorry. What was Ketsu doing there? What was her purpose? 
There's no reason for the character to be there, and it's never explained why she's there at all. It's not like she was appearing in the previous episode, and it's not like when we last met her, she was like, I'm gonna stick around and help the Rebels. Why is Ketsu there? Well, I think she did stick around to help the Rebels. I think she's on the Admiral's ship. I well, think she that, probably did, but doing. did you get that impression that she was full oh, force joining no. the cause? No, that one slid right past me. <laughs> no, she, she... There's like an episode missing there. Because after we saw her last, she is friends with Sabine. They've kind of made peace. But there was no no indication at all that Ketsu had any, any desire to join the Rebels. Kind of had a desire to maybe help Sabine, but I never thought that she'd be sticking her neck out for the Rebels. I mean, she is clearly in the battle you know, she's clearly a rebel now. If there's any Imperials that were scanning her ship, they know her ship, they know who she is now. She's not going to be able to perform her duties as a bounty hunter any longer. So mm-hmm. it was really weird because what is she getting out of it? She hasn't demanded any payment or or a castle or whatever it is that people in the Star Wars universe need in order to do right when they're kind of shady. So hopefully we get a little bit more character development in Ketsu. Maybe there's something in her background where she was a hero at first and, you know, decided to do bounty hunting. But you're right, Nathan. That was very jarring to me. There was no impact that she had in this in this episode. It could have been anyone in that battle. It could have been Kanan or, or Jeb in a starfighter to do what she did. So I thought that was very interesting. Did anybody catch when Chopper, when he was instituting his plan and he was rounding up all the stormtroopers into the cargo bay before he releases them, he knocks one of them down and does a double tap on the guy. I was like, I think this episode had me cracking up the most. And then towards the end, when when AP5 tells them, you know, don't go to the FOSS system, and Hera goes, the entire rebel fleet is betting on Chopper. Like the complete panic in her voice. And then Kanan, yep, try not to think about it. I was dying, man. The banter in this, like, you know, I watched this with Riley. We were uh, doing it for a a live commentary for our Patreons. I was rolling, like, all the way through this. I had tears in my eyes. Like, this was a a great Chopper-based episode. I really got a kick out of it. Uh, I felt like it did more for how Chopper joined the crew. Like, this was Chopper's origin story, in a sense. This gave us more about Chopper's background than any other episode, and it's kind of done like what the other ones have done to give us that last little click of, okay, so that that's how he and her got together. Because we've known that, you know, he came from Ryloth with Hera, but we didn't exactly know how they got together. And I love the fact that AP5 recognized that Chopper was a military droid based on his spark projector. Only military units were that. And that's when Chopper did, well, I'm a war hero. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. Yes, you are. (laughs) Let me just say this last thing about AP5. The best character to be introduced into Rebels so far. I'm going to say that right now. I automatically love AP5. He, he feels like he's he's always been part of this group, and he was just a missing piece that they finally plugged in. And I'm glad AP5 is here. He is a smarter, more assured of himself, more than C-3PO, and he's someone that could handle Chopper, I think. And what a great character. AP5 did not need to go three or four different episodes for me to like him. Like Jeb. Let me say Jeb. Uh, I'm glad that they put him in, and I hope that AV long live AP5. When the scene happened that AP5 was shot, 
that he sacrificed himself in order to push that button so the rebels could get the coordinates to their new location for their base. I really felt sad. I mean, they could have been shooting C-3PO or R2-D2 at that moment, and I would have felt the same. So bravo for that. Well, and the animation for that character was great. His eyes, the way they reflected everything. I kept getting mesmerized by it. I was like, wow, there's some serious attention to detail here. Well, I guess to wrap things up, uh, to comment upon what you all just said, I would say, one, that it, I wouldn't necessarily say that AP5 is the best character introduced so far, but I certainly think that he was a more natural fit in the way that this episode played him out. I'm now waiting for more of those buddy banter moments, like maybe Chopper gets in trouble and Ezra turns to AP5 and goes, go save your boyfriend. He's not my boyfriend, or something, a la Obi-Wan and Anakin. And, uh... I am not entirely sure where politics came into it, Barrent. I think you meant to say Zeb instead of Jeb, because I think you said it took several episodes to like Jeb. And I'll tell you, <laughs> most of the country in this election decided not to like Jeb, which is why he dropped out. Um, but speaking of <laughs> Chopper, speaking of Chopper, we get an episode not named after him that features him, and then an episode kind of named after him that doesn't use him all that much because the base on Atalon becomes known as Chopper Base, giving us the title of our third and last episode to cover this time, The Mystery of Chopper Base. As the Ghost is making a supply run for Phoenix Squadron's new base, which we know now as Chopper Base on Atalon, Ezra and Kanan are training in some extreme lightsaber combat with the lightsabers in training mode, our first time actually seeing that on screen, perhaps entirely, but certainly in Rebels. Hera kind of understands why the Jedi, Kanan, Ezra, and Ahsoka who's on her way to the base but not there yet, need to go hunt down the Inquisitors. But she's always expected that when the end came to go after the Inquisitors, when this hunt came, they do it together. So there's some separation anxiety between her and Kanan going on. As preparations are being made for that mission, Lieutenant Dicer, a member of Phoenix Squadron, discovers these spider-like walking Macquarie concept art from Dagobah creatures known as Kricknas while she's placing sensor markers. She apparently gets killed, or taken, or something that just leaves a helmet behind. When Sabine and Captain Rex go to investigate, they also come under attack by the same creatures. The rest of the Ghost crew arrive and rescue Sabine, but Rex is taken into a tunnel system by the creatures. Based on scans from Chopper that tell them where Rex is, the team, which now is all back together again, with again the exception of Ahsoka, go into the tunnel system where they fight off the creatures and save Rex, notably splitting with the Jedi going in one group, everyone else in another, because as Hera says, they need to get used to getting along without their two Jedi comrades. As they get back outside, though, they find that the Krikna have spun webs around parts of the Ghost, making it difficult to take off. So, realizing that the sensor markers drive off the Kricknas, they use them to hold off the creatures while Kanan and Ezra cut the ship free. They then escape the area and set up sensor markers around Chopper Base to protect it from the creatures, which Ezra has tried to connect with through the Force, to no avail whatsoever. All he seems to be doing is angering them when he tries to do it. Finally, Hera and Kanan share a long, touching goodbye hug, but notably not a kiss, and Ahsoka arrives so they can begin the Jedi Trio's new mission of going on the offensive. I don't know, guys. This felt like an episode that could have been done in a few minutes for the important parts 
and then just sent us straight into the finale rather than taking up a whole episode with what really kind of felt like a filler thing. Maybe I'm missing something. Uh, let's go around the table and see what you thought. Mark, what do you think about this episode? Man, one of the things that really jumped out to me on this one was the lighting. I, I really liked the way that the lightsabers would light up the caves and the tunnels and stuff like that. Like that was, I don't know, it set the mood. Like this one had a very creepy feel to it. Uh, when we get to the end, when we find out that the sensors were something that kept the spiders away, I didn't quite buy that because those spiders got pretty dang close to it. It wasn't really something that was driving them back. Uh, so that, that was a weak plot for me in that regard, but I don't know. I mean, you see a, a amping of aggression with Ezra in this episode that really stood out to me. I mean, you know, from the beginning when they're doing the lightsaber fights and stuff, you know, tied again. And then Kanan like attacks Adam and he's like, you know, you never turn your back on your enemy. And Ezra's like, since when are you my enemy? And, you know, it was like kind of like there's a thought that pops up into Ezra's head. Like, you know, that's not going to go away. Now you're going to keep thinking about that. Like, and, you know, you see that Hera kind of sees this change. Uh, and that was something. And Zeb, when he's talking to Ezra, he talks about, you know, they're going after the Red Blades, which I like that coming back up because Red Blades was something that we saw in a couple of the uh, early new canon books. They were calling the, the Sith Red Blades uh, and stuff. So I thought that was kind of awesome. But the, the whole sentimentality of what's going on between Hera and Kanan, I think that was one of the hardest things for me in this episode. Every time that that realization kept pushing itself forward that Kanan was going to be breaking up the group, that his his fear of what these Inquisitors, you know, represent, uh, it, you know, to me, I, I think he sees them as death, uh, you know, that he can't keep death at bay. And when he confronts death, he doesn't want the whole family to go down with him. And I think that that's also something that's affecting Ezra because, I mean, Ezra's on the verge of cracking here. I mean, when, when they're webbed up, the ghost can't fly out and he wants to get out and get it free. And he's trying to get Zeb to come out to help him. And Zeb's like, I ain't going out there. And he's like, you want the last Jedi to die because I'm sitting here because you're too afraid to go outside. Like the way that the look on his face, the, the complete rage that took him over in that moment. And it's literally the last few sentences of that phrasing. Like the kid, the kid is on the verge. Like he is ready to snap. I mean, like I said, you know, Kanan, Kanan sees it. He knows the family's going to go down. He's concerned. And I, I think that it's all getting to Ezra. I think Ezra needs to be sat down by somebody, maybe Ahsoka and just, you know, let him talk out his feelings. Dude. I can only I can only picture Taylor sitting next to you as you're screaming going, I don't know this man. I do not know this man. That's one thing I thought. That's <laughs> <laughs> I don't I think that this episode, I mean, it did a fairly good job of the creepiness, depending on how you feel about spiders. It was funny that this episode's Rebels Recon had a comment from Andy Gutierrez, who actually hosts the Rebels Recon episodes commenting about how she's not a fan of spiders, so this was kind of a weird episode for her. And I would imagine for anybody who had a thing for either spiders or skeleton-looking faces, because the crickness tended to have skeletal-looking faces, that this would have been a freaky, freaky episode for some people. To me, it just kind of felt like we know nothing's going to happen to these characters. I really hope that these spider things come back later and have a point, because... Right now, they just kind of feel like filler. I don't know. We haven't had a lot of episodes this season that truly felt like filler, but man, this one really did. I would, 
It's almost as though they thought, you know what, we're going to have the finale. The finale is going to be focused on Ahsoka, Kanan, and Ezra going after the Inquisitors and Vader being involved in all that stuff. And two episodes ago, we had a Jedi-centric episode. Last episode was Chopper. It's been a bit since we've really done much with Hera and Sabine and them, so let's just throw them a bone here and give them an episode here near the end of the season. It really didn't feel like an episode that was... It's like, it's like the premise wasn't fully fleshed out. Like, it had its necessary bits... And then I was like, well, what can we do with these spider things to fill the gap in between? And that's, I don't know, to me it made this a weak episode. See, the spiders, like, they could have been creepier. Like, the legs, the legs were creepy. The mouths, like, if they'd have put, like, a predator-style mouth on that thing, I'd have been a little more creeped out. But I definitely had this feeling like they might have been semi-sentient. And they definitely took a pounding. Like, the ghost, like, it was blasting some of them two or three times. Now, I don't know if that's because they were almost out of energy or what, because I know Hera had mentioned, you know, after they charged the hole, they couldn't do that again or they wouldn't have enough power to get up. So maybe that's what it was. But I was blown away by how much they were getting slammed just over and over and over again. And can, can I toss out this question? How many times this season... Are we going to need to have we're almost out of power or almost out of fuel be a plot point to propel something else? It's getting yeah. kind of old. Well, but it, it, it also makes sense, though, because they're on the run. They're the rebels. They, there's no friendly ports for them. Yeah, it's like it's like the Spider-Man that's running out of the web cartridges. It's like, come on, just give him organic webs from now. You know, that's over. You know, I'm not... You guys have said everything that I was going to say concerning this episode as far as how I feel about it. I think we pretty much all feel the same that the anticipation of the season ending, the season finale episodes, I think kind of make us look at this episode as something that just wasn't necessary. I mean, I understand that they want to establish this base, but I mean, I'm tired of the big spiders. Come on. I mean, Lord of the Rings did it the best. I think anybody could have done it. They could have left that out for the next decade, but the spiders were just basically spiders. I mean, it's not like they even took the time to make these spiders do anything besides look like big Jews, giant spiders that could take a, a blaster bolt. So I understand what they were trying to do, the premise. And hopefully the spiders come back and maybe they will be protectors and we'll see them take out some empire foes, you know, when they come attack this base. Who knows? But unnecessary, if you're going to give us a filler episode, at least give us some character development, maybe. And then maybe it won't be a filler episode. I don't know what the definition of filler is, but if there was a definition and there was a picture by it in the dictionary, <laughs> it would be this. And a dictionary for all, uh, Taylor, is one of those websites that you can open up on paper kind of thing. <laughs> so I used to have those. What's that old man? What were you um, saying there? I think there's one part that you missed. The part where Ezra and Kanan fling Sabine to the sensor. And she said, times like this, I really wish I had a jetpack. Yeah, we, we were both like, Baron! Baron! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Finally, end of season two. So hopefully she gets a jetpack by season three. But I was I got so many messages from people on Facebook and, and DMing me from Snap. Barrett, did you watch the new episode? She asked for her jetpack. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's right. That's you know, right. She could have used the jetpack to escape when she's like sliding down the, the, the hill or whatever, it, or the pit towards them. But I don't know, for me, there was something that kicked me out of that moment because when she's sliding down and you've got Kanan and Ezra on the scene, 
I immediately flash back to the Clone Wars tipping points, where, of course, Stila is falling, and so is Lux, and in comes Ahsoka to grab with the Force to save them. I would have expected one of the Jedi to just pluck her with the Force straight off of that edge and bring her right back to the group. And instead, you know, she's sliding and they're doing things to help, but it seems like the things they're doing are almost not helpful to begin with, almost more detrimental before she actually manages to get out of there. So, one, the jetpack would have come in great, but two, was anybody else getting flashbacks to Clone Wars with that scene and wondering why they're not using the Force? Missed that. No, no, I agree with you. It was kind of flashbacks. They should have used the Force in that situation. And also, going back to your point that you made earlier, Mark, about this foreshadowing, about this impending doom, when the team is split up and they are in the, the caves and Zeb says, shouldn't there be a Jedi on both teams? And Hera says, we have to get used to them not being around. That right there is telling me that maybe one or both of them, they're going to die. You know what I'm saying? That was hard foreshadowing right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's one that gets me. I, I really got a kick, too, out of the interactions between Kanan and Hera. Taylor especially had a favorite part. Yeah, um, there was one part where Kanan and Hera come out of the ghost. And, like, I think it was Hera said, like, show me your happy face or something like that. And then Kanan's all like, this is my excited face. And it was super creepy. Like, it went down to detail and stuff, and he's all like, hey. <laughs> it was super weird, but I thought it was really funny. Interesting that his no. his happy face and his derp face are very, very similar. Uh, <laughs> I, I, and the interaction between those two is really good. I mean, it's not seen a lot in the episode. We get their hug at the end. I keep it waiting for an expression of love and a kiss or something, but they're just hugging at the end. But when even when Kanan tries to reassure her, he says, you know, you know we're coming back, right? She's like, you know I can tell when you're lying, right? Uh, they're really kind of laying on that foreboding atmosphere here where it seems as though for Kanan this is, you know, we're going on a mission, we'll see you soon, uh, so I'll see you later, literally. Whereas for Hera, it's more like, goodbye. I, that she really seems to have serious doubts about whether she's going to see them again. And this keeps ramping up that feeling I have that Kanan's going to be the one that dies. I just, there's a part of me that's like, you know, maybe they'll save a kiss. Maybe the two of them will figure out they're going to have a relationship and it'll be like the very last episode of the series, the finale. They finally kiss and that's how it ends if he doesn't die. I just have this, I keep getting back to that, you know, story-wise, I could see so many really cool directions coming out of him dying. And that really just creeps me out. Another thing that creeped me out, though, was when Ezra tries to touch the spider's minds and he can't, I want to know why. Like, is it something that, is it the Anakin angle of, I need to have more power? Like, is this something that, that starts to get him going that direction? Because normally he's got a good infinity with animals, but now he's come across something that that natural ability isn't working so easily and he wants to force it? Or... Like what we see in the very end when he tries it one last time, we hear this very creepy, very sinister laugh in the background. And I'm like, whoa, wait, what the Sith is that? What the hell? What? Whoa, what does that mean? What does that foretell? Like, that was creepy. And I have no idea what it means and the implications of it. And I have a feeling that down the road, that's going to be something big. I wanted answers with that as well. When I sat there and watched the episode with Pharaoh, he even said... You know, he was able to control 
those demon cave creatures, which lived in caves. Yeah. But he's not able to control the spiders or even communicate with them. But at the same time, these space whales that were out, that were kind of myths, you know, in that episode, that it was a myth that these space whales could travel, he's able to communicate with them. So I think you might be onto something here, Mark, about Kanan wanting more power. Uh, or because he tries to communicate with these spider-like creatures a few times, so he's like, "Why?" He's asking himself, "Why can't I do it?" I did not get the laughter at the end. Was that someone? Was that like a a Sith laughter, or was that someone in the? Was it like a? You know, I I didn't get that. Was it a laughter like in the background, like the Force Awakens kind of Ray laughter kind of voice thing? Oh yeah. Okay, so I hate to <laughs> correct you, but you said Kanan instead of Ezra. You you had a lot. Of, she has a smile. She didn't hate that much. No. Ezra, just uh. <laughs> but but I I kept wondering like did that have something to do with these things kind of being semi sentient because when they started webbing the ghost down and stuff like it seemed like they were acting in concert and then you think about okay well the one when they grabbed rex the one took rex it went back into the hive it had rex like i don't know it was it wasn't in a cocoon but like it was asleep and dormant holding him like i was kind of like what's going on here are these like a hive mind creatures uh, you know are are they just like an insect kind of thing like there definitely seemed to be more going on with them and it definitely felt very sinister so what you're saying is the lack of clarity on whether they were sentient or not kind of bugged you huh? Ooh, <laughs> oh that's good uh, I, I know i, I should have said that in a zeb voice given some of his puns in these episodes i don't i think that you see animals and insects that are able to act in concert without necessarily being sentient. I'm more thinking in terms of maybe it's a whole side of the force thing. Like maybe those creatures that we saw, the fear knocks back at the one base, you know, maybe they're essentially good. They're it's just their nature to be fierce, territorial, feral, whatever. But maybe these are like actual dark side creatures of some kind. Maybe these are, are pure evil because they're certainly designed to sort of look like it. I'm almost afraid. I mean, just based on the design of their faces, what kept and, and this kept, again, throwing me sort of out of the episode. It's cool that they were based on the concept art from Macquarie. But did their faces really need to be that close to like the mask from Scream? I kept expecting one of them <laughs> when they're opening their mouth to eat them to go, yeah, that's your favorite scary movie, Sydney. <laughs> Are you scared? <laughs> you know, I want to bring up one thing. Let's talk about Rex. Okay. You you mentioned that Rex was captured by this creature. They don't really show how Rex was captured by this creature. They don't really explain why Rex was not eaten and just kind of held together. He wasn't even in a web. It was like the creature was holding him by his legs. But then yeah. when you but then when you see Rex fight the creature before, it's like he totally has the creature. It's like how did he get captured in the first time? I bring this up because Rex has not been used efficiently since he was introduced in that Desert Planet episode. I mean, he really has not been utilized at all well. Even Ahsoka has been on a mission with them and has been utilized. Rex has just been on the ship. Now he's being captured. He's just like the Daphne of the the mystery. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just getting captured. There's no reason for him to be. He's just there to look good. 
I guess. I mean, he looks good in his armor. He really does. And it's nice to see Rex. But Rex really needs to die. He needs to go with Ahsoka. I mean, they need to kill off Rex and Ahsoka all at the same time because he's really useless. I mean, we really have Ketsu now. Ketsu could take over what Rex can do. AP5 can take over what Rex has been doing. <laughs> See, I disagree. See, Rex has been providing intel, and then during the spider attack, Rex gets, like, jumped by three of them at once, and that's how he ends up getting taken. Uh, he gets kind of split up from the group because he's the one going balls to the wall, total dual gun blasting hero. And then we get that great moment with him and Chopper when they're on the ghost and one's prying the door open. He does that double foot stomp. He's like, close the door, Chopper, now. Like, I, I just, I don't know, man. I'm still digging on him, but well, I don't we're just it, seeing the old age. I say, I don't think you could really put Rex into too many action sequences because it appears that in the entire Rebel fleet, not a single ship has a freaking treadmill on it. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I just think Rex is... I think he was supposed to be a certain character, maybe a older general, wiser character. And he's not coming across like that. I mean, Intel, AP5 just gave him a place for a new base. You know, Rex should have had, been had that lockdown. So I'm just saying that they either need to utilize Rex in a more profound way or they need to get rid of him. Because right now it's just kind of like you know there's no need for him to be there i don't know you know people enjoy him i guess but we have these other characters here that we can develop we don't need to develop rex let me ask you baron is it possible because i agree with you that they really haven't used rex very well he's just been there basically in the background giving some information and that's about it he's the exposition guy at this point but i wonder if maybe Assuming Ahsoka is meant to die in the finale or later in the series, is it possible that the reason why they're keeping Rex around is so we can have someone with a connection back to the Clone Wars to be mourning her death instead of just the characters from this series? Like, he's there to sort of be the emotional outlet for the viewers who are fans of the Clone Wars when that finally very likely happens? The Clone Wars Anchorman. I, I could see that. As much as I'm rooting for Kanan to die, I could see that. Yeah, but who wants Rex to be the Clone Wars anchor man? Me, 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 me. <laughs> he was he he was a, a a major part of the last series, and to go from being that to doing Marshall's commercials, he's basically not... <laughs> he's Pad he's Padme in Revenge of the Sith. He went from major role to just kind of he I don't know he's not really barefoot in and, he's not barefoot and pregnant, but he's as close to that and Padme situation in Revenge of the Sith. As any other characters, he's been relegated to a very minor role like she was. Almost like Lando in Return yeah. of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. You know, he's yeah. Lando role. gets to fly the Millennium Falcon. He's a he... strong. Wait a second. I'm channeling chasing Amy. But at least he gets to fly the Millennium Falcon and at least he gets to blow up a Death Star. So let's hope that Rex gets his chance in the sun because he was one of my favorite characters from the Clone Wars. He's very capable. I don't care how old he is. He's a very capable soldier. And they need to utilize him better. Now, before we wrap up, I just want to go and ask you guys about the base. Uh, you know, Hera's desperate for a base to the point that she's going to force this to work. Now, I said I felt like the sensors were a weak plot point, mainly because the spiders really could get within a foot of the thing. And it's supposed to drive them back. If you're within a foot of the thing, it's not driving you back. I'm sorry. And so they create a line of these sensors to keep them out of the base. And I'm just thinking, okay... 
this Hera's desperation put them in a really bad spot because now you're on a planet where if the Imperials shoot all these sensors, you're going to be overrun by these spider creatures. That seems like a really poor choice. Like her desperation to have a, a home has put them in a spot that isn't the safest location. Do you guys think that that might bite them in the butt down the road? I would almost hope that it would so that this episode can have more relevance, but I don't know if that's where they're going with it. I don't know. I would hope so, but I haven't seen that fluffer pig around uh, since. <laughs> so who knows? But I don't understand why they have to have a base anyway. I mean, they can't just have space, a space station type of thing that could be mobile. So I don't I don't know. I think this is all coming down, like you said, Mark, that hopefully this the spiders will play their role in act three eventually. And we will find out. Maybe we'll find out that there isn't anything, that Hera, Hera is getting desperate. It's almost like these last few episodes, the character development that they gave us over this whole season is kind of being turned on its head. Yeah, to a degree. Because all of a sudden now, Hera is fearful and she's desperate. When all, all everything we've known from her, before she was able to work again with her father, Cham, it seems like she was more confident. And it, now she's very fearful. In fact, Kanan is very fearful. It seems like Kanan should be getting drawn to the dark side with all the fear that's going around. So it's very jumbled up right now. It seems like the only centered character who has not deviated from what we've known about him is Chopper. Yeah. Well, I think it almost yeah. feels like it's like their mind has been on other things. Like the season started with this frantic situation where they were dealing with you know, the empires on their tail they're hunting the jedi i mean you go back to siege of lothal and it's focusing in on vader being the one to do so and then they very quickly introduced the new inquisitors and so on but then the search for a new base took precedence but now that they found the base it's like okay we can't distract ourselves with this mission anymore we've got to do something about this looming problem it's like somebody who's got a terminal illness who throws themselves into their work so they're not thinking about the terminal illness, but at some point they've got to say, you know what, I got to deal with this. I got to go get treatment. I'm not sure that it's inconsistency with the characters so much as they've been so distracted by this other thing they've had to do for so long that now that they're getting back to sort of the fear and the need to deal with the Inquisitors that we saw really early in this in the season is now finally coming back to the forefront. Yeah, and Kanan has been shaken to the core. I think... Because of that, Kanan, his choice to leave the group, that's what's affected Hera. I don't think she ever expected Kanan to walk. Granted, that took me by surprise as well, because when we first meet this group, they're basically, they've come together and formed this, this family. And you would think that they would stick together. So I, can, I, I felt a little bit from Hera, and I wish they would have kissed, because they had that scene where they're kind of, you know, they have the sun or whatever in the background, kind of reminiscent of Anakin and Padme on Naboo. And I, I wish they kind of would have had a kiss. You know, I, I want, I, it's about time for their development to come through as a mother. I mean, they're the mother and father of this crew anyway. They might as well go ahead and literally get together. See, that's why I keep thinking they're going to put it off to the end. I mean, they've been playing it loose and yet holding it tight at the same time. Like, you feel like they're destined to be together, and yet the whole time all the creative people are going, oh, there's nothing there whatsoever. <laughs> like, 
you keep expecting almost that it's going to be that last episode kind of thing where finally everybody realizes, yeah, you know what? We are meant to be together. And I really, I kind of see him ending it with a kiss if they don't kill Kanan off before then. I just, I, I don't know. I think like if they make the relationship, I think that that's going to get too much. Like, I don't know. Like the, I just don't see the writers being able to write the relationship and keep the story on track. I, I think it's like one variable too much for the equation here. <laughs> oh, man. You know, if they put those two together, that's Han Solo and Princess Leia on missions together. You know, they can write it like that. They step True. close. They take each other's hands, look deeply into each other's eyes. And Kanan utters that most romantic of phrases. I hate sand. It gets <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> In all your dew flaps. So I think this episode has garnered enough attention from us. Amen. I kind of think so, yeah. yep. We get the Taylor nod of approval on that. So, folks, I think Barron's called it here. We'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable. You can, of course, find us at StarWarsReport.com. Be listening soon, because once that season finale airs, and the team has a chance to see it. We're going to be bringing together as much of the Rebels Roundtable team as possible for a final episode that will act as our coverage of the season finale and our season wrap-up and a chance to say goodbye as we bring this podcast to a close. Thank you to Mark, Taylor, and Barrent for joining me to discuss these episodes. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. You're very welcome, Nathan. And until next time, long live the Rebellion. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable. Rebels Roundtable is hosted by Jonathan, Barrent, Jen, Nathan, Mark, and Dan. Interact with us online at facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable or on Twitter at rebelsround. Also, be sure to visit rebelsroundtable.com when looking for an episode directory of the show. The Rebels Roundtable team is proud to carry on the legacy of Venganza Media's Republic Forces Radio Network podcast. We invite you to visit RepublicForces.com's archive section to hear many of the team members' thoughts on the Clone Wars, Droids, Ewoks, and the Clone Wars micro-series. And check out Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com, which you can find among the second Airborne Division podcast network at StarWarsReport.com. Star Wars Rebels and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable is copyright 2014, all rights reserved. <laughs>